What's up guys, Conor Hamlin here for another episode of the Con O Show. And today, we're going to be talking about the, for less of a better word, radicalization. And not politically, ideologically radicalization, but the radicalization of the Republican Party when it comes to um, how they utilize rules, how they utilize power, what we can learn from it, what we should do about it, and... Uh, whether we should start fighting back um and um as i'm recording this there has uh been one winner announced in the senate runoff elections in georgia so i'm going to talk about that briefly and then i'm going to really be talking about the implications of what could happen uh with each scenario really quickly and just the implications moving forward what can we do moving forward um and you guys know that my focus is very hyper-local, so I'm going to encourage you guys to do a lot of things that might seem uncomfortable at first. So, buckle up. This is going to be very, very... That second part is going to be very tied into uh, a project that I'm working on, and I'm actually shooting the introduction to this morning as well. Uh, and I will announce at the end here. And just stay tuned for that. And I'm going to really need your help promoting that project because... It's helpful. Um, but first, we're going to start off, when I say the radicalization of the Republican Party, uh, I am talking about those who hold power and utilize power and wield it as a weapon. That is not a uniquely Republican thing. That is a power thing. People that hold power utilize their power to benefit themselves or benefit specific people, whatnot. And for our sakes today, I want to focus on what the Republicans have done, but know that the Democrats are equally as possible, as capable of doing this. They haven't, they have not at all in comparison, um... I'm just saying the caveat here is if you're worried about me being a, a partisan hack or something like that in this, just know the, you know, 25 years from now, the the criticism could be wielded the other way. It could be turned around. I don't foresee that happening. It is possible, though. So just keep that in mind. And it's uh, it's something that uh, obviously we all have our own biases. So when I talk about it, just know it could be flipped. It's the same thing with gerrymandering and we'll interweave that. However, this first part is not so much a part bipartisan issue as much as it is a current Republican, uh, issue. And this is you know, this is the, we are on the cusp of a potential rift between, honestly, both parties, but in particular, like in, within each party, but in particular, the Republican Party is, is going through some sort of transformation, uh, not ideologically, let's point that out, that Trump represented the Republican ideology, except for maybe free trade. Literally, I think on almost every other issue, Trump was as Republican as Republican can be. 
So get that out of your system, that Trump is an aberration. He is not the normal Republican. He was the quintessential Republican. And we'll get to that in a, we'll get to that more in a second. Um, however, what I want to talk about first here is what happened over the week that uh, the the Georgia call that Trump had. And again, notice that this is before Tuesday's election. Trump tried to overturn Georgia's election from November 3rd. He tried, I will repeat that. He literally tried to overturn the Georgia election from November 3rd by telling the Secretary of State, recorded on a call, that he wanted him to find 11,000 and some odd uh, votes to overturn the election. He said, because that's exactly one more than we need to win, and that is what we got. So he's, he's either delusional, he's either lying, or he, yeah, I mean, that's basically it. He's either delusional or he's lying. And this is what power begets you. You get to throw your weight around and you get to push for what you want. You have the most powerful man in the world, the president of the United States, coming at the secretary of state of a state and trying to you know, push the pressure there. Now, I have to hope that Trump is just lying because, tr you know, Trump has access to the most. Trump is the president of the United States. The, the president of the United States has access to so much information that the average American does not have that if he genuinely is trying to say that this is a legitimate um, or I guess an illegitimate election, he either needs to show the proof, which he doesn't have because it's not true. Because these states run their own elections. Each state runs their own election. It's either that or he's just blatantly lying to millions and millions of people that follow him. We can see through it. I can see through it. You can probably see through it. But he got caught on tape saying that. And of course, you know, the first thing that everyone wants to say is it's fake. It's not fake. It is a hundred percent real. And these deep, you know, there are the potential of deep fakes. I get that. You want to verify things. This is a hundred percent real. We don't know who leaked it yet, but we know that it's a hundred percent real because it's an hour long conversation and it's, it's, it's specifically recorded the entire, uh, conversation. Now, you'd have to be a very, very skilled tactician of creating and splicing and, and especially because he's never said some of these things. And let's go forward a little bit. And because this is important for the Georgia Senate or was important for the Georgia Senate runoff election, Trump was threatening the secretary of state to go to Georgia campaigning against him, utilizing his power to undercut him again. This is how power works. There is actually nothing inherently wrong with that threat. I actually respect um, that choice to go after someone politically um, if the outcome was not corrupt. If Trump was not going for something corrupt, say Trump was actually fighting for the $2,000 checks that he said he wanted, and he went to Kentucky and said, I'm going to go campaign in Mitch McConnell's backyard just to say the people of Kentucky want 
these $2,000 checks, which by the way, the va- like the overwhelming majority of counties in P- in Kentucky need those $2,000 checks. The people in Kentucky need those $2,000 checks. The people in Pennsylvania need those $2,000 checks. The counties in Kentucky though are disproportionately uh impoverished. I mean, you just this is statistically true. So <laughs> When we utilize power correctly, we can get something great. And I'm, again, this is, uh, I can allude to a chapter of something. Oh, maybe I just leaked what I uh, am working on. I, I can allude to part of my next project where I write about Lyndon Johnson and him using his power. And J- Lyndon Johnson utilized his bully pulpit the bully pulpit is basically using uh you know rather i guess popular consent or popular opinion to move the opinions of those in power uh and i guess it can go a little bit both ways like you can use the bully pulpit to encourage more people to join with you but it's usually to change power and to get something passed and lyndon johnson in particular was known for being that whip and the whip is somebody that basically uh like in the house or in the senate they have someone designated as the whip but like if you're in a caucus or whatever there's a whip and the whip is basically someone that gets the votes you need for something uh and they tally them together and you know you go and have the vote on it they you know talk to people and try to get them to vote for something in the good way not in the lobbying way this is how the government's supposed to work. You're supposed to have conversation. You're supposed to have compromise. Um, we're not, none of us probably disagree that we should have compromise. What we're compromising on and what we're compromising for is going to be different. You know, this is the age old question is not as a public option, uh, not good enough. It's not good enough, but it's a good step forward. So we should compromise right now, get the public option and then move forward to Medicare for all. And then we'll see where we're at there. These compromises are necessary and compromises in politics are necessary, but compromises with power don't have to be necessary if you wield the power correctly. So Lyndon Johnson is a good example of it. Trump is not a good example of it as Trump is pushing for his self-interest to overturn the election, which, which is what I'm really talking about here. The radicalization of tactics is more impactful right now than the radicalization of ideologies. And you might disagree with me. That's fine. The radicalization of ideologies is bad, sure, depending on which ideologies you're talking about. I, personally, would be considered someone that is radical in American politics, but my thought processes and my opinions genuinely, and I believe this to my core, are not radical. They are based off of common sense reforms of systems rather than, you know, attacking individuals or attacking specific, just, you know, narrow means tested policies. No, I have an ideology, sure, but the ideology is broad and there is principle behind it, but my principles are not set in stone. You have to be able to flex those. If you just do something solely out of principle, that is not enough to justify 
the vast majority of things, right? So that, that could lead us down an entire rabbit hole. I'll save that for another day. However, um, Trump doing this has led to a toxicity within wielding power. And I'm not even going to touch much more on Mitch McConnell, but I will mention him here as he is holding the, he is holding back the floodgate of money to people that need it. They lie and they lie and they lie about who is going to get this. Mitch McConnell on the floor of the Senate said that all oh, these, I can't even do an impersonation of him because he's heinous. But he did. He said that three people, families with three hundred thousand dollars, do not need this. You know, two thousand dollar checks. Well, guess what, you bozo. You know it, but you're lying to the American people. It phases out. It phases out over seventy five thousand dollars per individual. So someone, a family that earns three hundred thousand dollars, guess what, will get zero from the two thousand dollar checks. And you know what? I wouldn't even care if they did get it because $2,000 disproportionately is going to be beneficial for people that are poor and middle class than they are for the wealthy elite. And it gets rid of the asterisks next to your name if you got it being like the, the, the welfare queen, the this, the that, whatever. It gets rid of that when it's universal. And this is why universal basic income is important. But Mitch McConnell is holding his power and utilizing it to strangle the American people, to bleed them dry as we, you know, have to pay for rent, as we have to pay for student loans, as we have to pay for food. And again, you know, I'm lucky. I have a job right now. But for millions of Americans, they do not. They do not have a job right now. And they can't afford their food. They can't afford their insulin. They can't afford to send their kid to a private school. They can't afford to whatever these rich people in Congress, these rich a-holes like Mitch McConnell can do. We can't do that. The average American can't do that. And even if you disagree with what they can do, they're going to still do it. You can see it when we talk about lockdowns, right? Look, I think... If we had a lockdown that fully just closed everything in one shot, made sure that we did it for, you know, extended period of time just to make sure that everything locked down and was good. Sure. Okay. That is what actually I think we should have done from the get go. But we see and I'm not I I don't have uh, names off the top of my head, but we see the hypocrisy of people that will. Say rules for you, not for me. And they will go, they will do whatever they want, they will have family gatherings, they will have parties, they will go to whatever, while we are struggling. The American people, the average American is struggling. And that includes both parties on that one. So draw your conclusions there, I guess. Um, I'm not going to be particularly explicit because I don't really care. It doesn't really matter. It's just a point that I'm trying to point out that hypocrisy is rampant. Corruption is rampant. But the power to turn on the spigot of money is totally in the control of the Republicans and in the control of Mitch McConnell right now. And he is deciding to say 
F you to the American people. Now, this toxicity from Mitch McConnell, from Donald Trump, leaks down into our states and our local government. Because trust me, the person I lost to in my race is a crazy Trump person. She loves Trump. Went to the polls representing our town in head-to-toe Trump gear. She was nice to me, but that doesn't really matter. What matters is what your policies are, what your ideology is when you're running for government. You could be a complete a-hole, but if you do the right things in government, you could be great. And this seepage down is where we see more and more issues. I'll lead off with one more I, f- I almost forgot here because it, it's going to happen today. Well, as I'm recording this, I'm recording this on Wednesday. Now, we have like a dozen or so uh, Republican senators saying that they will not verify the election results. And we have about 100 of the Republican congressmen saying that, I believe. It might be give or take. Um, think about that. A free and fair election in which they lost. By the way, only one Republican has won the popular vote since, um, <laughs> what is it, since 1992? And that was George W. Bush in 2004. We had Bill Clinton. He won. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, Bill Clinton, he won twice popular vote. George W. Bush lost in 2000 to Al Gore, the popular vote. He won, George W. Bush won it in 2004, so fair enough. 2008, Barack Obama. 2012, Barack Obama. 2016, Hillary Clinton. 2020, Joe Biden. And yet, we have had equal uh, time, basically, with Republican presidents. So, the system is obviously not a 50-50 chance, and this is where my issue comes in. Is because they're trying to, they are actually trying to rig the election. Legitimately trying to rig the election. Now, we talk about the founding fathers on here. I have my particular flavor of founding father. I like Alexander Hamilton and Thomas Paine and the more progressive of the founding fathers. And let's remember, I will say this till I die, the founding fathers disagreed with each other. So you have people like, you know, Mike Huckabee and Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity and Rush Limbaugh. And they're all going to wave the flag and say, you know, Thomas Jefferson said this about the certification of the uh, votes. And we've never had this problem. Never had this problem. They're going to justify it. As they always do, because they fall in line, they fall behind their leader, they are authoritarians. They are not democratically minded. They are authoritarians, they fall behind their leader, they take the marching orders, and they they sow the seeds of discord with their propaganda and their rhetoric 
because I know people don't know better. They don't have the time to listen to this episode. They don't have the time to go and listen to, you know, what other whatever progressive media outlet there is. They don't have time to go and read uh, the Federalist Papers. They don't have time to go and read uh, anything, any other theory, any other historical documents. They just don't have the time. The American people are worked to the bone. So I can't even blame the most people. It's sad. I wish I could put that personal responsibility that Republicans so love on people. You know, I have an interest. I ha- I have a passion. I have a love for educating myself in this stuff. Many, many, many people do not have the chance, do not have the means, do not have the time to do so. So it's impossible for me to expect that of them. So they think they're the two parties are the same. They are fair. They're equal. They're not equal. They've in the last a hundred years, they have not been equal. They haven't. And you can talk about the problems of the old school Democratic Party, but the old school Democratic Party fought for working class people. The New Deal Democrats fought for working class people. And again, you can expand what they did. You can definitely do better than what they did. But they fought. And this is my inherent problem is now from that, they're not going to, they're going to try to not certify the election. They're Donald Trump's trying to overturn Georgia. Mitch McConnell's holding up all this money. It's seeping down into state governments where our state Republicans in Pennsylvania kicked, tried to kick out John Fetterman, our lieutenant governor, who, by the way, is the equivalent of the vice president in your um, state Senate, your lieutenant governor, generally speaking, in this very state to state, I think. But generally speaking, the lieutenant governor presides over the Senate the same way the vice president does and will break ties. John Fetterman was swearing people in and they tried to they they the Republicans claimed that it was a fraudulent election, did all this other crap, and they tried to remove him from the floor of the Senate. And of course, you know, John Fetterman, if you've never seen him, I would suggest you Google him. He's about seven feet tall. But um and I'll I have a picture of me and him on my Instagram, so go check that out. But um because I met him twice. He's an awesome guy and I want to get him on the show someday. But they tried to remove him because they, without evidence, thought that there was a fraudulent election and they think that they have more power and they do. They do have more power because they control the Senate. So they remove him. Now, he he's basically censured. He's not really actually removed, um, censored and censured. Uh, so this is an unfolding story as you know, it happened yesterday. I just want to put that in as it seeps down. And I told you our, our township has issues with this. And we talk, you know, it's funny. They feign outrage. If you talk about progressive things like Juneteenth, when you talk about progressive things like, and Juneteenth's not even progressive. It's just a holiday that is celebrated to, to, uh, celebrate the end of slavery and that is somehow framed as progressive as nationalizing politics no no it's not no it's not martin luther king day is not nationalizing politics you still recognize it yes okay well if you recognize that you should be able to recognize juneteenth and there are other things like plastic bans that happen on the state county or in the state uh, level or you can do it on the local level these things are preemptively shut down because it's oh you're not you're not you're nationalizing things blah 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 you're being too divisive the device the 
This is where I'm going to leave off on this, I think. <laughs> the rhetoric of divisiveness based on ideology is a tool of those in power that represent uh, the elite, the corporate uh, aristocracy, the oligarchy. They represent the power elite that hold everything down right now. When you utilize rhetoric of divisiveness, and I'm not talking about literally being divisive. I'm saying when you talk about people being divisive on ideology, you're talking about the far left, the far right, whatever. And, you know, I think the far right is a problem. But you talk about it in these terms necessarily solely framing that as, you know, we have to come together and blah, blah, blah. When they come together on these things, they represent the wealthy elite. They represent not you and I, not the average American. They represent those who already hold power. And that is because, as I said in the beginning of the segment, power begets power. And, you know, we can go with the Spider-Man quote, but I'm not going to do that. Um, because clearly, clearly, Uncle Ben was wrong. <laughs> Uncle Ben, when he said, with great power comes great responsibility, has never met Mitch McConnell, has never met Donald Trump, has never met the leader of the Republicans in the state Senate in Pennsylvania. They just haven't. They're utilizing and wielding real power, not Twitter followers, not Facebook friends, not YouTube subscribers, which, hey, if you want to subscribe, do so. But they are utilizing real hard power to hold back the average American. And that is a choice. That is not an option. That is, or I should say, it is an option. It, it, there, it is in their hands. It is a choice that they are making that their self-interest is more important than yours, that is more important than your family, that is more important than your neighbors, that is more important than this country. Because the vast majority of us are working paycheck to paycheck, just trying to get by. <laughs> I don't know where you go. Um, I'm going to try to posit some stuff in the second half of the show here. Uh, I'm going to talk about some implications that could happen, but this is what happens when you have the both sides-ism. One party is trying to just not be the other one, the Democratic Party at this point, and the other party is running roughshod on the American people. They don't represent us they don't care there's actually more democrats and independents than there are republicans and you know granted there are a lot of independents that wouldn't identify with the democrats as well but let's just be honest here and say that the republicans represent a much more disproportionate amount of people uh than they should because they're elevated because of things like the senate and the systematic uh issues we have with representation that give them the opportunity to be president when they lose the popular vote or be a senator when they lose the vast majority of votes for the senate seats in general not in not within the state sure 
But that's, you know, these are systems designed for that. And we talk about, I'll leave off the first half with this, where Washington complained about the two-party system. And everyone knows that. Everyone knows that. Unfortunately, the, the, the system was designed that way. And as much as he may have warned about it, that is what we're stuck with. And until we can, you know... I, I don't even foresee this happening anymore, really. Until we can beat the Republican Party to the point where the Democratic, the you know, the centrist wing of the Democratic Party becomes the Republican Party, unless something drastically changes, I don't see that happening. So it's going to be the two parties for right now. So you got to pick and you got to hopefully fight for justice, equality, and freedom, which the Republicans are not going to give you because they're too hel- too busy helping their friends. Uh, with that, I'll go into part two. I have to take a quick break. Uh, follow the show on Facebook, facebook.com slash the Kano show. You can follow me on Twitter at Con O'Hanlon. You can follow me on Instagram at con underscore O'Hanlon and follow the show on YouTube. Hit the subscribe button. Follow us on Spotify and on Apple. I'll be right back. Welcome back to the Con O Show. I'm your host, Conor O'Hanlon. And we're going to return to this idea uh, of what I was just talking about in part one really quickly. Um, however, I'm going to provide more of the background of, of why some of this stuff is so important. And I'll leave you off with something else. But as I said earlier, the Georgia Senate elections happened last night as i'm recording this at 6 30 a.m there is one winner announced and at any moment i could be you know significantly outdated so i'm not gonna try to guess who's gonna win or whatnot but Raphael warnock as of right now has beaten kelly leffler which is excellent because kelly leffler is a terrible terrible senator but we don't know if John Ossoff has won uh, or if David Perdue has won. Hopefully, Ossoff pulls it out. And if he did, we will have a 50-50 Senate in which we will actually be able to get some things done. And this is actually kind of where I'm leading off with this. Is as important as these gen- general, or sorry, the Georgia runoff election was. Let's be realistic here and remember that the filibuster still exists in the Senate for non-budgetary items. So you need 60 votes if, you know, if something's filibustered, which generally, you know, you have Ted Cruz in there. So, of course, that bozo is going to be filibustering like a madman if he has to. And you have um a lot of radical and i don't mean again i don't mean ideologically radical republicans like mitch mcconnell that hold a ton of power and they can corral their votes and hold votes against it that's just the senate now um quickly if you've 
haven't listened to my previous episodes, and I suggest you do, because that would be great. Um, obviously, the U.S. Supreme Court is a major, major issue. And we do not, and I say we, the Democrats, do not have any sort of close to even control of the 63 conservative to liberal justices on the court which i actually thought of this on my way here and i was wondering now what is our what is our plan what is the democrats plan with when it comes to the supreme court i know that joe biden was asked questions and kamala harris was asked questions about packing the court they were asked, I mean, they were really only asked about passing, packing the court. Remember that to get rid of the filibuster, you have to vote on it and you'd have to get, you know, basically 50 plus one. So if any Democrat decides to vote against it, Joe Manchin, then we still have the filibuster, right? And... I'm pretty sure a structural overturning of the Supreme Court is going to require a much bigger majority than 50 plus one. I could be wrong, but I'm not really sure. I'll be honest with you. Um, judicial appointments now only need 50 plus one. So packing the court, in theory, wouldn't require that. But I'm talking about structural reform into saying term limits into saying you know rotations of judges or justices i'm not really sure about some of that stuff but i know that if we wanted to pack the court you need 50 plus one and of course i can't imagine that joe manchin or chris coons or uh i mean we're not going to win any any of the you know moderate republicans he quote moderate republicans um so what i i am genuinely asking at this point in a little bit of befuddlement, what is our plan on that end? Because every single piece of legislation has the potential of being shot down by the Supreme Court. And this is why it's I've covered this so many times on the show. Every single one has the shot or the potential of being overturned by the Supreme Court. So... I think, and this might sound a little Machiavellian, and I actually found it interesting, and I suggest that you guys read The Prince. I read it, um, I guess, during the summer at this point. Time has been both infinitely slow and infinitely fast, but that actually describes what Machiavellian politics are and a lot of it just stems when people talk about us using power and wielding it in a specific way but it so I might sound that way I'm not my intentions are not that but if we want to fight back against the ruthless 
power hungry. Um, Mitch McConnell, Donald Trump, Ted Cruz. Everyone hates Ted Cruz, so I got to throw him in there. Uh, then we have to use our goddamn power. And I was watching a live stream last night and I, you know, sent a message into the show and I sent a message about how do we, you know, how, how we gain power. And let's remember here, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to be, you know, conceited or cocky or anything like that. But at 24 years old now, I've become chairman of the party and it wasn't like, it wasn't like it was backbreaking labor to get to the point where I'm at. And you might be in a different situation. But I'm trying to make the connection here. And we'll talk about Joe Biden, his power, and the rest of their power soon. But for our sakes, for you watching, we can gain a a significant influence and a significant amount of power if you so choose. It just takes a little bit of time and a little bit of effort. Now you might have not you might not have the same, you know, I have a lot of ambition when it comes to this world, this world of politics, I should say, not just the world in general. I mean, I like to think I do, but in general, I have like I said earlier, this is like a my passion. And you might just see, you know, I'm in a union and I feel like I should be involved. That's good enough. Just just take the next step. But this power may seem like nobody knows who the hell I am. If I walk down the street, nobody's not going to recognize me or nobody's going to recognize me because I'm the chairman of the party, right? They might recognize me because I'm part of the community, but they will not recognize me from that. So you're not like you're famous. It's not like you're going to be bombarded with, you know, fans or whatnot. It's it's a level of power that is significant enough to influence local stuff, maybe your countywide stuff, and that is so so important. We can build our power and our progressive bench by running for stuff. And guess what? You're going to lose sometimes. You know how I know? I lost. My first run, I lost. Now, I wouldn't consider what I did running for chairman an election, necessarily. I mean, I was elected. But it wasn't a full, like, public election. But I decided to run again for something else, right? And I did win. I did become chairman, right? Bernie Sanders won after, like, 20 tries. Maybe I'm exaggerating, but Barack Obama, you know, this is actually an interesting one because it says more broader appeal than some, you know, because if you're watching this, maybe you don't like Bernie. I don't know. Um, But if Bernie's my particular role model in this realm here, but, you know, people told me and, you know, I'm more okay with losing than most people would think. People are taken aback when 
you have a reflection on losing. Uh, I, I mean, I played sports my whole life, so I'm used to losing. I mean, I'm not, and it wasn't like a, and it's not like we won every game that I played in. Um, you have to be like, okay, be able to reflect and learn from that. But they say, you know, Barack Obama lost his first election and he did. But then he went on to become state senator and he went on to become senator and then he went on to become president. And it wasn't that long of a journey for him. I mean, he's still young. I mean, young for a president. And he's an ex-president now. So he is a good example to use for somebody that, you know, and you might not have ambitions to run for the Senate. You know, that is my, I'll be honest with you, that's like one of my life goals. So as cool as that would be, if I never make it, I never make it. But at least I could say I tried. And I tried to build the power that is a that is moving forward the movement and utilizing what little power I have. And remember that power begets power. So my power combined with a few other people in my position in other municipalities develops solidarity. And through solidarity becomes consolidated power. And now that might be through a lightning bolt of a campaign. That might be through a slower moving river of developing a bench of candidates. That might not be the AOC. As much as, you know, we'd all love to be the next AOC hit, you know, celebrity politician that gets to is lightning in a bottle immediately uh and let's not diminish her work too but once she won her primary it was like what is going on here right and it proved that we can do it but this is broadly speaking now i'm talking about democrats not just progressives we have to be willing to get down in the mud and fight I've said it before. We have to. And, you know, we people talk about divisiveness, as I talked about in the beginning of the, the episode. There, in, there have been times in this country, and I'm not advocating for violence, but there have been times in this country in which senators literally beat the crap out of each other on the floor of Congress. That is divisive. That is funny, but (laughs) that is divisive. And we're not there yet. As much as I'd love to see Bernie come in with the steel chair and hit uh, Ted Cruz, metaphorically. (laughs) Um, That's not where we're at. We live in a different time and age. But it's always funny to see that the world's... the, the worlds that we live in and the rhetoric that is used because I, you know, I do watch Tucker Carlson every once in a while to see what he says. And I've seen him and Sean Hannity in particular say how, you know, the Democrats are, you know, dictatorial and running roughshod off or whatever. I mean, pretty, I mean, I'll be honest with you. It does sound like what I'm saying against the Republicans. However, here's the difference. The, De- the, the Republicans say that about Democrats about social issues and they say that about things like that without sounding like an asshole don't matter um they don't matter because 
transgender people have always gone to the bathroom of their choice. They only made it an issue when they decided to. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't an issue for a very long time. You know why? Because nobody gave a crap. Nobody cared. Why does it matter? Because they wanted it to matter. And the reason why it seems like Democrats win on things is because the arch, I should say the arc of history, has always moved forward in progress. Now, we take steps back, obviously, look at Donald Trump's election in 2016, but the the overall arc, and this is a you know spinoff of what MLK said, the overall arc of history leans towards justice. Now, it doesn't mean that it's always going to go that way. It doesn't mean it has to go that way. But popular support for progressive you know, social movements have always ended up winning. You know, in 20 years from now, Black Lives Matter and the 2020 protests of, of uh, the murder of George Floyd are going to be looked back on as the rightful thing to have been done. Now, you know, again, you might accuse me of bias because I was involved with that. Or I'm telling you, in 20, 30, 40 years, when they have it in textbooks, that will be in there about how of a positive change that could have brought. They said the same thing about MLK, that he was, you know, a rabble rouser and he was causing riots. I mean, look it up. Again, the whitewashing of, of MLK is... astonishing they said the same things that they said about BLM today about Martin Luther King back then at least they could have said it about Malcolm X and they would have been at least closer (laughs) to the truth Malcolm X was like a genuine radical on that stuff um, until you know later in life but it's time that we utilized whatever power we have to show solidarity and fight against this stuff. You know, let's let's take Social Security. And I, I think I've told this story on here before. And if, if you've missed it, this is an interesting one, okay? Let's take a look at Social Security. Social Security lifted millions, at the time, let's remember that this is during the Great Depression, lifted millions of senior citizens out of poverty by guess what providing them with money just giving them money socialism some might call it social security as it exists today by the way is under constant threat but social security today lifts still millions and millions of senior citizens out of poverty. So let's rephrase that. Without Social Security, we would have millions of senior citizens in poverty. That's not to say that Social Security is perfect today. It's not. As we've seen, it's been attacked by Republicans and Democrats in the past. They've tried to cut it. It needs to be expanded. Senior citizens, a lot of them still work until the day that they die. But without Social Security and without, you know, that 
Plus, a lot of them have pensions. Let's not forget that boomers and, and uh, the silent generation actually have pensions. You and I, we're on our own. 401k or you die. Um, <laughs> they would have been... The, the amount of homelessness, the amount of drain on society would be astronomical if it were not for this socialized program. This is this is the uh, this is the obvious example of a return on investment. The return on investment is that if you give these people this money, they can they can provide for themselves for housing, they can provide food for themselves, they can do everything. They can actually have a leisurely life sometimes because that's part of being a human again. Um all of this is to say the only reason why we we have social security today is because the FDR threatened to pack the courts to overturn a ruling on the unconstitutionality of social security. So power wielded in the correct way can yield great return. And it goes back to what we said about Uncle Ben. With great power comes great responsibility. I uh I think with a responsible mind, the power can also generate more equality, more freedom, more justice, more for everybody, not just the few. And that should be the goal of the government. So let's move forward to today. And what can the Democrats do? I mean, we're going to see what they can do with a split house or sorry, a split. Um, I mean, a split Congress is what I mean. And the Supreme Court is going to be the major threat. So I suggest we start looking at the power dynamics of how things work. We start utilizing the tools, the rhetoric, the whatever we need to to get through and pass things that are genuinely helpful for the American people. I'm not going to sit here and say that everything that Joe Biden's going to do is perfect. It's not going to be. I can guarantee you. I'm not going to sit here and lie and say all that stuff and just say like, you know, if, just if we like the Democrats, it's good. It's not enough. If we see the outcome, and this is a big if, because again, I'm recording this before the election results have been out. If we see that John Ossoff has won, we need to hold those elected officials to account to pass genuine progressive legislation utilize the tools and the power in a way that the Republicans have to counteract what they've done. Our institutions are are on their last legs. So if we if the Democrats do not do not take power and do not reform some of these things we're we're close to catastrophe. I mean, we're close to a uh, catastrophe. I mean, I don't know how else to put it. I'm trying not to, you know, be cynical. I love this country. I love that we have the freedom to d 
do what I'm doing here. I love that we have the freedom to live the life that we have. I believe that America is the greatest country on earth. And that is partially this, the, the patriotism in me. And it's partly the nationalism that's built into me. And that's not like a, I'm not saying I'm a nationalist. I am most certainly not. But we have that hint of in us that we, we all, I mean, if you think about it, we do feel like we love America. We do feel like we are the best country, right? And I just expect that if we really believe in that, and I know I do, but broadly speaking, if we collectively know that, that we should not allow the institutions of the Supreme Court, the institutions of the Senate, the institution of the House of Representatives, the institution of the presidency to be destroyed, to be eroded away into the sand that will be blown away into the ocean of history like the empires of Rome. And the empires of, I don't know, Austria. I don't know. <laughs> the, I mean, we could go back as, as long as you want. And the British Empire. I mean, Britain is a, is a f shadow of its former self. And look, I'm not advocating for imperialism. Not at all. I'm just saying the United States is in a unique situation where we are the global power and we should be utilizing that power for good and with the attempts to overturn the election which will make us a banana republic i mean it'll literally just be all smoke and mirrors it's just going to be theater at that point um with i mean just the Democrats, I'm not suggesting they should be undercutting institutions. I actually think that they should be building them back up. They should be utilizing the power to build the institutions to be better than they ever have. You know, it takes a mind like Alexander Hamilton to build these institutions from the get-go. It needs to be the 21st century reformation of institutions to hold. It's going to be like, if you guys have watched Game of Thrones, Hodor, where he's holding the door. We have so many of these institutional problems that are are the, the White Walkers just banging against that door. And we have our institutions are, are Hodor. And, you know, he they can't hold that much longer the more pressure we keep putting on them. And look, again... This could be reversed. This could be the other side. This could be the Democrats doing it. It's not. It is not. Let me emphasize, it is not. But it could be. If that's what it takes for you to imagine and have empathy with the situation, if the Democrats were undercutting the institutions to the point where our democracy just didn't work, to the point where elections are just framed as fraud no matter what, then... You Republicans would be rightfully outraged. This is not a team game. America is the team. Americans are the players. We all are on the same team. And I'm not trying to sing Kumbaya. I'm just saying we should be fighting and pulling in the same damn direction.
whether it comes to a COVID, uh, a COVID response or whether it comes to healthcare or whether it comes to fighting the, for the environment, we need to be pulling in the same direction. The institutions are so vital to our democracy and to our republic that we need to reinforce them. We need to reform them. We need to reform them. It is not an option at this point. When you have these power-hungry people that are willing to undercut them at every single turn, this is, again, why it's so important to understand what the founders were talking about. Not that they agreed that we know that they disagreed and how they came to the compromises that they came to, why we have to reform them moving forward. With that being said, that is all I have for you on this episode of the Con O Show. But I do briefly want to announce that the Doylestown Democrats are going to be doing an interview series, a live interview series in which that we will have a, a live premiere of a pre-recorded interview that I will be hosting uh, with local officials from you know, borough council all the way up to state senator. Uh, this way, uh, we're trying to raise money for the Doylestown Democrats again, tying it together with the episode to utilize to utilize whatever power we have to help get people elected and to represent the people of Bucks County and of Doylestown. We're going to be interviewing people on school boards from uh, the county. We're going to be uh, interviewing county commissioners. <laughs> You know, a lot of different people and I'll be interviewing them. So if you're interested in that series, please let me know. There's going to be premieres of them and we're going to be hosting them afterwards on uh, YouTube. But there's going to be Zoom premieres. That way we can try to help raise some money for some candidates this year because we have like 30 of them in 2021. So run for election this year. If you want to know how to run for reelect or run for election, ask me uh, if you want to know how uh whatever specific job is in the county government, please let me know and I will ask them. Um, but yeah, with that being said, thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you for coming on this journey with me, this ranting and raving of the early Wednesday morning coming out on Friday. Uh, I appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. Hit the subscribe button on YouTube. You can turn that bell button on too if you want to hear uh, get notifications for whenever my videos go live. Follow the show on Facebook.com slash The Kano Show. Uh, you can follow me at Kano Hanlon on Twitter. And you can follow the show on Apple uh, Podcasts and Spotify for the audio versions of the show. If you guys have any suggestions, please leave them down below in the comment section. And please share this video if you can. I would really appreciate it if you do. And until next time, stay safe. Hopefully we get some good news right after I record this episode. Uh, if not, we'll talk about it next week. So until then, stay safe. Peace.